Hi and welcome along to Early Excellence's Head to Head podcast. It's great to have you here. I'm Sarah Carey, School Improvement Lead here at Early Excellence and in these podcasts I'll be connecting with real head teachers and school leaders. We'll be discussing hot topics in primary and early years education and sharing some real experiences. So keep listening to hear more about school inspections and impactful school improvement strategies. Today, I'm really delighted to be welcoming back one of my previous guests, Sally from Lillian Delissa Maintained Nursery School. Hi, Sally. It's lovely to see you again. Hello, Sarah. You too. Lovely to see you. Always a pleasure. Oh, bless you. It's nice to have you back. It's been nearly a year since we did our last podcast, can you believe? No, I'm back. (laughs) We came together a year ago so that you could share what was then your kind of most recent offset experience at your maintained nursery school. And today you're back to talk about a different theme because there's there's been a bit of a change for you in terms of your situation because you're still at Lillian Delissa, but you're now um, no longer deputy head. You are now head teacher. So congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I th- Thank you. Everybody's been telling me to do it, so I decided to finally take the plunge, and I'm really happy about it. <laughs> Good. And actually, that's what we kind of want to, to unpick today, really, because I know, obviously, we met well over a year ago, really, kind of in, in some sessions that we were doing together for the Maintain Nursery School group that you're part of in Birmingham. And I remember us talking and me kind of saying to you at the time, oh, would you be interested in headship? What's your feeling of headship? And I, I'm, I'm not quoting you but I feel sure the phrase was something like no way or not a chance is that right (laughs) (laughs) it's funny how things change isn't it (laughs) but I am I'm really delighted that you've taken that step and I'm going to be really interested to hear hear how it's been for you because you've had a term now haven't you of of being head and kind of going through that process so I think it'd be really great for the listeners to hear about you know you how how things have changed for you and where you what kind of gave you that final I'm going to do it and actually now you're on the other side how it all is I think it'll be really good for other people to hear because I'll be honest with you Sally often I speak to people but maybe in assistant headship roles deputy head roles and I have that conversation around might you one day and I do tend to get a similar response around oh no oh no not for me or oh no yeah it's a bit of a thing at the moment. Nobody seems to want to do it, do they? So I think it's um, it, this is this is a useful opportunity to share my experience. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it would be really good for our listeners um, just to kind of step back for a moment and remind remind ourselves a little bit about you and your setting um, before we get started into all the nitty gritty of headship, just uh, to go back to who are you and a bit about the lovely Lillian Delissa Nursery School, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know, um, my name's Sally Appadu. I'm the head teacher at Lillian Delisa Nursery School. And it's an inner city context. We're very close to the city centre. Um, you could you could walk there from here. Um, and we're a unique setting in the sense that we're named after an early years educator and pioneer, Lillian Delisa, who, who lived from 1885 to 1967. And she believed in the great outdoors, teaching children about nature and she was passionate about supporting families living in deprivation. So for me, it's about continuing that legacy as much as possible from, from the founder. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And I know um, you, you, you're not that far away from, the, from Crec, are you, in terms of your locality as well? Is that right? 
yeah, we were just over the road from Crack, so we work in collaboration with um, Crack, and they they're part of the um, Birmingham Federation of Nursery Schools. So lucky enough to be able to work with um, Chris Pascal, Tony Bertram, and Jean Delaney. Yeah, and we often have them. Teaching students from Crack, I've got a teaching student from Crack at the moment. Fantastic. There's some some big names dropped just there, Sally, and you just kind of lose them in there. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, so you're in the you're in the middle of Birmingham um, and doing lots and lots of great work. So if I can take you back then to that conversation that we had, or maybe just pre kind of you becoming a head teacher. And if you if you can go back to that place in your mind and where you were in your kind of career and I suppose life. What, what 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 was it that kind of you were whenever you thought about should I take on headship? What were the things that kind of worried you or perhaps became the bits that made you think mm, maybe not? What what was in your mind at that point? Okay, yeah. Well, as a deputy head, um, everybody kept telling me that I should be a head, but you've got to want to do it yourself, haven't you? Really? Um, and I guess I wanted to cling on to the teaching and learning part of the the role as it was where I started my career. And I, was, and, and I was a class teacher for 15 years before I became a deputy head. Um, so I suppose I didn't really want to remove myself away from it, really. Um, but I guess last year um, was it was quite an unsettled year at Lillian Delissa because there were, there were two head teachers that came and went. And I, I guess I learned last year about the role. Um, and um, I started my MPQH um, in October last year, probably around the same time that we filmed the podcast and um yeah I suppose I, I've got to to start to learn about the, the role a lot more it's a much more responsibility but it's multifaceted as well which is actually a good thing because there's lots of elements to it um but as a deputy yeah I think everybody always worries about the responsibility because the, the level of responsibility changes quite dramatically actually because you're the one that's the accountable one yeah absolutely so and again some similar conversations to perhaps colleagues who uh, have had similar thought processes it's that responsibility but also not wanting to lose touch with I suppose the children and the teaching and learning side of it because obviously as you take on headship yes you're still very much focused on teaching and learning but there are other layers around kind of budgets and staffing and HR and those sorts of things which I think perhaps people think will take you away from teaching and learning and the children I'm not saying it doesn't but I think that kind of sits in the forefront of people's minds about actually wanting to we always go back to why we came into the profession which is for the children and that's the thing isn't it really so I guess kind of what you've already alluded to then is having had a little bit of kind of an unsettled period over the last year where you've had some some changes in headship and, and some other experiences actually that feels like that actually started to give you a little bit more insight into the role itself and is that where it became a oh maybe maybe I can rather than no way maybe yes please is is what what, absolutely what what made that push was there anything else other than kind of getting that insight anything else or anything that as part of those insights made you think getting the insight and then also as part of the MPQH you're working with um colleagues at a similar level so you're working with head teachers you're working with deputies assistant heads um and you're talking about the the different aspects of of the role so actually when you know a little bit more about it it makes you want to it makes you excited about it so yeah uh, it it changed for me over the course of the whole year really last year 
I think as well, when you're kind of working in groups where you're engaging with colleagues that are of, of, a, of a kind of a similar level, actually, you start to feel your confidence build, don't you? Because you're having professional conversations. And I think that sublimely makes you feel more confident because you're surrounded by people who are going to be doing the job or already doing the job. And you, you start to begin to feel, actually, I can do this. I can hold my own. I do know that we have similar thoughts we'd approach that in a similar way so you start to build that inner confidence I think so I wouldn't underestimate the power of engaging in where you can those sorts of networks with colleagues who are perhaps on a similar journey it sounds like that's helped you as well yeah, it has. It definitely yeah. has. So, am I right to assume then this was the first headship that you applied for that you decided yes, I'm going to go yeah. for? Oh, so yeah. what was that like then? As a, as a as an interview application interview experience, if it was your very first one, that must be doubly wow because you probably knew some of the people who may well be in the school in the in the school. Yeah, it's always it's always a tricky situation when it's an in, it, it's internal, isn't it? So you're applying for something, but you're still part of an organisation. So I think that adds a different kind of pressure. Um, but it's 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 a different experience, the head teacher application um, and interview, um, because it's such a multifaceted role. Um, it has a wider scope in terms of person specification and job description. Um, so when you're applying for it, it's about thinking under all the aspects of headship, what you've um, what you've done and the impact it's had as as a, to the school and to the um, as as part of your leadership. Um, so and I think as you're applying for the head teacher position, um, you start a natural reflection progress about where you think about what defines you as a leader, um, and I think that's important to talk about as part of the application. Um, and then, of course, you, you you send it off and then you hope you get your interview. Um, and then your interview is very much <clears throat> elaborating on what you say in your application. So that differs from a deputy head interview, really. Um, you still get safeguarding questions, et cetera, which, which is what you would expect. But it's about really selling what you said in the application, um, which actually feels... Like it, it feels like a really affirming process because you, you're talking about what you're all about, um, and you and as part of that, you you do um, a presentation where you're talking about your your vision. Um, so obviously, when you've got if you sometimes you have time to prepare for that, sometimes you don't. Luckily enough, I had the opportunity to prepare for it, so I could really think about what I'm all about as a leader. Um, and for me, I have to rehearse what I say. So um, my my husband and eldest son had to pretend to be governors, but they did a very good, <laughs> they did a very good job because um, it went really well. The presentation part because it's always good to prepare, isn't it, and feel prepared and know that they're going to ask you questions that what you've talked about in your application, but you still don't know what they're going to ask you. So the presentation part was my. Uh, my favourite part of it, if that, if if you can, if you can have a favourite part of an interview. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and it's interesting. I mean, when I was interviewed for my headship, um, as was a two-day process, and and as the day went on we kind of heard at the end of the first day whether we were going through to the second day which they'd explained to us would happen but when you had that call to say yes you're through to the second day um, they then said and here's a title of the presentation that we'd like you to present ready for 9am the following morning which 
again, is a little bit, <gasps> but equally in some respects, that's very reflective of the kind of roles you're in. You are under pressure and kind of have to do quick turnarounds and things do land that you have to respond to, but in a really kind of high quality way, of course. So, uh, so yes, but hearing about safeguarding, hearing about doing a presentation, hearing about talking about the things that you've put in your application, again, sounds, sounds quite familiar. So for people who are perhaps thinking about it, um, having the heads up on that. So in terms of thinking about what, what makes you, you, what's important to you as a head teacher, which must've been what you talked about both within your application and, within your interview process and what you're doing now tell us a bit about that what makes you you what's important to you as a head okay I think it's what I've always it what's always been important to me so um my values and ethics are important to me and I know I spoke about my team values in my last podcast um I carry a strong moral compass and expect the very best from my staff in terms of following the code of conduct and then also in addition to this it's about being, we're all here for the children, aren't we? And the children and the families are at the heart of everything that we do. Um, so if there's a problem to solve or a discussion to have, if you use this premise that the children are at the heart of everything you do, I don't think you can go far wrong at all. Yeah. Oh, that, and that really resonates with me. I mean, anybody who's been listening to these podcasts for a while or who's had training or consultancy or support with me um, will know my, I, I share lots of slides that I've got images of children on because it's that reminder of that's what we're here for. That's what drives us. And um, certainly in my school where I was leading, the, the motto was children first. And so anything that we were exploring or unpicking or discussing or barriers that we were wanting to overcome, took we went back to that grounding all the time of children first. So what, how does this work for the children? What will it do for the children? How will this benefit the children? What will it be like from the children's point of view? So I think that's that's really important. So that really resonates with, with me as well. So you've been at Lily and Jalissa as a deputy and now you're there as a head. So is it different what's similar what's different for the people who are thinking of making that step what would you say are there similarities or not the good and the not so good maybe between the two roles okay um the day when your name officially goes listed on the department of education's website is exciting yeah (laughs) and much like a new classroom you rearrange your furniture in your new office um (laughs) and then make a sign for your door (laughs) so that's exciting um but then, yeah, the first few weeks, you end up feeling, you feel a, a, a mixture of feeling happy, excited, and at times overwhelmed. Um, sometimes you have to learn from, from making mistakes. Um, and if you do feel overwhelmed, it's about when you get asked for support, it's about phoning your experienced head teachers at the end of the day, because it's such a varied role that sometimes unfamiliar things land in your lap. You don't know what they are and it can make you panic a little bit thinking, oh, what's this? What's this? But usually um, it sometimes it's easy. Sometimes um, heads will often, experienced heads will often know what to do. And if they don't know what to do, um, they'll, they'll know somebody that will know what to do. Um, so it's about um, developing your network of your, your backstage people because it's it's a very much a front stage um, profession, isn't it? You, it's a public profession. You're very um, you're a role model to um, your staff and and to the community. So everybody looks to you. Um, but that backstage is what is your support mechanisms, isn't it? It's you. It's your 
um, Ichia support network, both inside um, the, the school world, but outside the school world as well. Um, so if, if I think if, if you've got to really make sure that you do that because it is such a responsible role and so having that support is is crucial actually yeah and actually it's about that's about one of the strategies in your toolbox toolbox of how how you move forward because um even as an experienced head teacher sometimes things land or no matter what you are really sometimes things land and you think I'm not sure what that is or I'm not sure what to do with that and it's about you know that is okay because we can't all know everything but it's important to do the finding out but taking time kind of to find out and and like you say either doing that reading um having that conversation with a colleague reaching out and asking for support actually because there are lots of systems there I know for yourself you've got You've got your federation of nursery schools, and I know you've got a really support, good support network as well. And so you've got them to go to too, haven't you? Absolutely. I'm I'm really lucky. I've got two supportive networks. Um, as you said, um, uh, I'm part of a, the Birmingham Federation of Nursery Schools. So we, we're nine schools, and we we all meet together um, as federation head teachers. Um, but also, there's I'm part of the Birmingham. Um, nursery school head teacher group um which is 27 of us so with the um 27 schools so with the largest um group of nursery head teachers in the country gosh i'm not not surprised by that given there's that many of you (laughs) (laughs) so i've got i've got the two groups to support me so I, i am really really lucky um and it and it's wonderful actually because um they've both groups have known me for a, for a while because obviously I've been a deputy here for for six years, so my name's known. Um, so they've they've both both groups have been very welcoming and supportive, which is what you need, don't yeah. you? Yeah, it's really important. And I think it's important to not batten down the hatches as a particularly as a new head. You kind of want to get in and get stuck in and and kind of get your house in order almost. And there can sometimes be a risk then of kind of being so focused on that that you don't necessarily make all of the connections that you need to. Um, so it's about trying to make that part of your development process, making sure that you are engaging with with those groups that are around you um, and giving time. Of course, I find I find my governors really supportive as well. Um, you know, governance is a is a key aspect of the role, isn't it? And um, they've been so supportive. Um, you know, I, I, and I've really enjoyed that side of the the profession because, you know, I, I didn't know much about it. I, I attended governors meeting as um as a deputy every so often to present data. But not really, didn't really understand what it was all about. But no, they've been incredibly supportive. I mean, when I had my performance management, that was different because, you know, I was used to just one person doing it. But there was four, four people, <laughs> four people. But but it was been the it was the most. Um, so it's two, three chair of governors, um, chair of the governing board, two governors, and then an an external person. But I found it to be the most empowering um, performance management um, meeting ever. You know, initially I was nervous thinking, why is there that many people talking about me? But actually it was really, really, um, really, really important and empowering for me as, you know, establishing myself. 
Yeah, that, and that's 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 really good to hear. Really interesting to hear. And actually, if I can, if I can just kind of just touch back to you, kind of saying you've asked those questions if you're not sure, and if you're working with several people, several groups, and actually there'll, there'll be more than one person going, well, I'm not sure on that either. Again, you can kind of find those things out together. So it's about have, building those relationships and having having those that confidence as well, isn't it, to kind of engage in those things and ask those questions I mean we would always say to the children and I often say kind of in training and things you know there's no such thing as a silly question we know what we know and every day every day is literally a school day isn't it really and that stands for all of us so it's better to kind of ask and get things right than actually try to muddle through because you think you should know because you're in that role of a teacher and there is that role of responsibility actually finding out and asking the questions you need to ask don't be afraid of doing that I think is, is what we're yeah. saying and as and as a leader as a as a new head you tend to you get to know new you get to know established heads um new heads but you also get to know what what defines them as a leader and then you naturally gravitate towards those more experienced head teachers that are about what you're all about if that makes sense um so that's all, all part of the process really um i'm also really lucky to have a, a mentor that really gets me so as a new head teacher i think everybody needs a mentor and i've got such a level-headed um wise mentor who who has got a lot of experience but she also understands me and my personality um and then Sharon Lewis and we've really connected so I feel really really lucky about that oh big shout out to Sharon then from you and you know this yes. is going on Spotify <laughs> and Apple and all the rest of it and other platforms are available so that's a massive shout out so thank you to her <laughs> So, so you've been at Lillian Dillisa, you've made that step into headship. Obviously, um, then it's about kind of not, I guess it's not baby out with the bathwater, is it? It's about continuing the development journey for your children, for your staff, for the setting. So it'd be really good to kind of hear some of the things that have been successes for you over the last term, uh, your first term of headship. And I know one of the things that's often important is obviously how you engage with staff. So for yourself, obviously, you know, you knew the staff that were in your team for other people going into headship. That's not necessarily the case. But I know you started a, a piece of work with the staff that you think has been really powerful so would you like to share a little bit around that yes I would I would um so it's a yeah as you said it's about establishing myself as a new head teacher and I guess going back to the application process my thinking stages when I was applying for the head teacher position um I was naturally dis I naturally discovered the work of Caroline Dweck because I read I read a lot of books on psychology um and for those of you that are unfamiliar caroline caroline dweck um did some work on growth mindset um she's an american psychologist um and and so i wrote about it in my application and then i thought it was the perfect opportunity um given the nature of last year to to launch it um to you know to really affirm your your culture as a as a as a school leader um so growth, growth mindset is based on the belief that your skills and abilities are not set in stone. Um, it's about learning being part of a process and avoiding criticism where possible because criticism, too much criticism um, creates defensiveness and it, and it inhibits growth. Um, so I've, I've shown my staff so far three videos 
And it's had, I, I thought it'd take me longer. I thought I'd be talking about this um, in the spring or the summer term, but actually in the term, it, it, it had a profound impact on the whole team. Um, they're empowering each other as they're continuously developing in a professional capacity. Um, and I've managed to find some posters from Amazon on growth mindset. So we've got them displayed around the area and we continue to talk about it and it, and it changes the way you think, um, which is really empowering, actually. And it changes your language as well, doesn't it? It is your thought process. I can't do this yet, but actually it changes your thought processes as well and how you engage with not just your colleagues, but it it does actually filter down into teaching and learning, I would say, from my experiences of kind of it. Yeah, and I'd like to, and I think we're going to that staff plan next. Now we've talked about it as a staff. We want to, to talk about it with the children as well, because Learning being part of a process is in line with um, the characteristics of effective learning, for example, isn't it? Um, they, they follow similar threads. Um, so, yeah, that, that's our plan next, to talk about it to the children because they, they need to know that it doesn't matter if they get some, if something's a challenge because, you know, you learn from it, don't you, at the end of the day? And as a new head, it, it's, it's brilliant to be able to have those thinking processes because there are unfamiliar things that land in your lap and you and you could easily be overwhelmed and think actually it couldn't could not your confidence but if you if you think in the in a growth mindset way then you know that it's just that you can't do something yet which is yeah changes how you think yeah and I think for staff kind of having and having a new leader whether you're known or are brand new to the setting if there can, there is that always that wonder I think of oh what's what's going to be changed I mean I try to always use the word what are we going to develop where are we going to go next in our journey rather than change because I think change can evoke a bit of a <gasps> we're creatures of habit we want to keep the familiarity but I think it's really interesting that one of the approaches you took was actually to look at developing the staff and their their growth mindset which has actually become part of your culture because often we do want to talk about the aims and what we want for our children but it's important that all the team are on board with that so I think it's it sounded and certainly when we were discussing it previously it sounds like it's been really powerful for your staff and really set the scene for the culture of your onward journey of development which I think is really invaluable to a new head teacher in terms of bringing the team together and bringing the team forward. Yeah, and 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 going back to the, the the children and the and the school. Obviously, you you want to make some changes, and um, we um to develop the school, um, and we had over the summer months, we had um we realised we'd got a, a an accumulated amount in devolved formula capital, so we we had a new floor fitted at school uh, over the summer months, which meant in the, in the summer holidays, which meant that. Actually, we stripped the environment back, but we really had a really good think about how the environment needs to look. And we took a lot, we stripped a lot back and thought about how the environment needs to be more purposeful and meaningful to the children. And we spent lots of time talking about it, moving furniture. And that naturally led to the discussion about what we're we're all about as a setting. and in terms of the environment, the children have responded very well to it. Um, and we've got a fabulous cohort of children this year. Um, they're they're very respectful of the environment. Um, so some of the so we're inspired by um, the educational philosophy of Reggio Emilia at Lillian Delissa. So we've used. Uh, I, I remember when I first started at Lillian Delissa, we did something as a class teacher. 
we did we used to have pencil pots it sounds really simple but actually if you train the children to to look after the environment it has an absolutely brilliant effect um so we have pencil pots in in a certain color and so your yellow pencils go in the yellow pot and actually once you train your, your children to be respectful of the environment and look after the environment the the learning is 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 so powerful um uh, so that's worked really well for us mm-hmm. um, and we would i mean uh, but there, i'm sure lots of people know from listening to these podcasts what early excellence are all about but we uh, we always kind of really start with the learning environment to really review is it is it delivering on your kind of vision and values isn't it enabling the children and the adults to be effective in their role as a learner or as an educator or in that partnership together and it does sound like really simple things but that making sure that everything has got a home will help the children to be able to be um engage in that environment far more quickly and helps them to become more efficient in their learning and it really can invest in a high quality learning environment and giving it thought with your staff can be so powerful and that it can work as hard as an additional adult really in the environment but the key is the conversations which is what you've just said the conversations and the time with staff so that the staff understand what the environment is there for and what it's doing and how it's delivering on the curriculum it isn't a case of just putting some beautiful resources out or just stripping things back there needs to be an understanding behind the why and it sounds like you've done that aspect of work as well which again will be really powerful yeah we've we've also talked about how because in in the in the nursery school world, I think you can be, you can have, I think to me, it's early years in its purest form. Um, so I think it's about, I love that, that I've got that freedom as a, as a head teacher in the nursery school world. And, and we're very child, we have a very child centered curriculum at Lillian Delissa. But it's also about thinking about having a child centered curriculum, but also thinking about your direct teaching. And also, also about thinking about outcomes at the end of the day um and also about thinking about how how you approach assessment in a rigorous kind of way and I think that's a that's a formula that that takes a lot of time and a lot of discussions because I think some settings can go one way or the other and it's about having that considered balance isn't it and I think the Leuven scales of well-being and involvement are key here because if you've got that if you if children are engaged and they're involved and uh, involved and highly immersed in their learning, then you've got your deep level learning, haven't you? And I think you can do that in a child centred way. You've just got to make sure that you have um, you you expect the very best and you have yeah outcomes and you you approach assessment in a rigorous way as well and obviously have some direct teaching as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's that it's always the balancing act isn't it or the plate spinning within early years to do those things and do those things well the knowing the why behind whatever it is you're doing is absolutely crucial understanding young children and how they develop and thinking about how we're presenting learning opportunities and you're right children need to be taught things they need to have things knowledge imparted to them skills modeled to them so that is part of that teaching and learning process 
but also as part of that in terms of the environment and what you're talking about is also then that they get to go and do that practice and apply of those newly acquired skills and whilst you're right in in a maintained nursery school particularly you've only got EYFS children so you can really hone that lens but actually what you're talking about as a philosophy and an approach lots of that is very much reflected within the EYFS strategy framework in terms of that breadth of curriculum and experiences to play and teach thinking about how you're going to present that learning and all of that applies to schools who have got two-year-olds nursery perhaps or reception provision actually all of those things and what you've touched on around moving scales and characteristics of effective learning are central to putting those foundations in place regardless of whether you are a nursery school or a nursery or a nursery or two-year-old within a school all of those things are important to make the right start for those youngest children so really interesting I think the other thing that we talked about um, before I had a, um, talking about this podcast and kind of you saying, yes, I'll do another one with you. Um, actually, we, we, you talked to me a little bit about transition, which actually kind of seems to link now in my mind with what we were just talking about. One of the things that you're, you're working on kind of not just as part of your setting, but with your network, wider network, is you're looking at a transition project, aren't you, in terms of developing and strengthening those sorts of practices. So it'd probably be good to hear a little bit about that, if that's okay. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. So as a head teacher, I, I work on a wider scale, um, working collaboratively collaboratively with other head teachers. Um, so one of the projects I'm involved in is is called DLP and it's developing local provision project phase two. Um, and I'm working um collaboratively with another head teacher on that in on the Edgebaston district, which is where Lillian Delissa um, Nursery School is is located. So we're in we're we're working. You're right. We're working on making the transition between nursery and reception smoother. So we're working. We're going to work with reception teachers um, in Birmingham um, to um, establish a checklist. So um, what would be reception teachers' ideal checklist of what children need to achieve by the end of their nursery year? Um, so we're currently, um, I'm currently visiting schools within Edgebaston, um, encouraging reception teachers to fill out the questionnaire, and then we're going to involve reception teachers in the planning stages of the of the checklist. And that's been, I mean, I went to go and visit schools on Friday, and they're so happy, <laughs> reception teachers, that we're doing this, and there's, there's, there's those connections being made, because, you know, we're all here for our families, aren't we? And, and if we can, we can work on something, not to make it very formal, but in terms of the skills, that, that children need, then that's going to be really powerful for them, isn't it? Um, the DLP is also looking at um, areas of Birmingham where um, children aren't accessing their um, EEE entitlement. There's certain pockets of Birmingham where they're not access, accessing their environment. And I went to visit a, a head teacher on Friday, and and, and it, it's actually um, North Edgebaston, and. Um, they're not that a lot of her children that start reception aren't accessing don't don't haven't had a nursery year so you can imagine what disadvantage that is for for so many families so as part of the DLP project we're going to be doing some outreach work in these key areas of Birmingham to um educate um 
stay in play groups and PVI settings to know that children are entitled to 15 hours if they're if they're two and, and three and four year olds. So that's going to have a, a, a huge impact on um, the children and families in Birmingham, we hope. Yeah, fantastic. I think that, again, just very interesting to hear what, you know, what people are doing. And obviously there are different different kind of communities out there in the in the UK and the world, really. But just really hear, interesting to hear that trying to connect, because what you're talking about is the child's journey, really. Um, and actually by being maybe in a... Um, maintain nursery school and then moving to a school that's got reception year one onwards but equally even that transition between year between year groups within a school it's that transition is absolutely vital because the children don't change as their experiences that we need to be considering so that as they move through their school journey we're making it as easy as possible for them to assimilate what they know and not feel that everything is new and new learning and a new experience. And of course, the term school readiness, which we hear a lot, can mean very different things to, to different people. Um, and what you're talking about is your what will become over time, not just a tick list in, in a kind of a crude sense. Actually, it will be thinking about your aims for what you wanted to achieve for your setting, just as it could be in a school, two-year-olds, thinking about what they want to achieve for their children by the end of their two-year-old provision or the end of their nursery provision, what things are really important. And often I would well imagine that you've probably had conversations with those reception teachers around actually self-care maybe and toileting and being able to do coats and those things, maybe being able to, you know, to communicate, not necessarily we'd love it to be clear and those sorts of things, but we're aware that there are challenges with that. I would imagine you would have quite a strong picture of a common language and common expectation between those schools that you're feeding to. Going back to those... Um primary yeah, isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're prime yeah. for a reason they're time sensitive yeah. and they are the they are the things that need to be really secure so that children can have a future onward success in their educational journey and of course we know that but sometimes it's difficult to kind of keep all of those plates plates spinning together so that sounds really really interesting so thank you so what about so you've talked about kind of successes i suppose for your staff team with the growth mindset and successes for the for the school in terms of the environment that you've been developing and that will help the children and a bit of success in terms of the networks any personal successes for you anything that you're really proud of other than I've done a term and I'm still standing and I love it any other personal <laughs> things for you <laughs> um I suppose um well for the staff and personally I would I, would, you know, I love my team they're my tribe so I, I suppose because I've been an established deputy for six years um they've wanted me to be ahead of the school for a while so they know me well um and the team are completely on board and so supportive of me and my journey so I, I've got to mention the team Lillian because they're incredible you train them on any, anything and you you know like when you when you're a teacher and you've got the children in the palm of your hand that's how the staff team are at Lillian and that's that's second to none for me so Aww. I've got to mention my tribe oh, <laughs> and then as well <laughs> <laughs> and then I suppose um it's my family really um my two boys Edward and Harry and my husband Neil they've always encouraged me to be a head teacher and so when I, I finally, finally took the plunge and I did it they were like so proud of me the day I told them I'd got the job they were just like I'll never forget that day and they're actively interested um and supportive of me in, in my new role 
um, which I did. I mean, they always interested me in my new role, in my role when I was a deputy. But I suppose it just feels different being a head teacher, doesn't it? So they, they ask me every day how my how my day has been, what did I do, and 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 so that that's brilliant when you've got your support. It's about it's having your backstage. Um, your your family isn't it and your friends absolutely absolutely so so far we've talked about and heard lots of positives really about your step into headship and lots of the positive experiences that you've had and that's great and I think really good for um, people who are perhaps thinking about headship to to kind of hear and it's very much a reality you know you're not just looking at it through rose tinted glasses but I think it, it is probably pertinent to ask so have there been any challenges along the way as well and actually let's hear a little bit about maybe some of the bump in the road because let's be honest that's the reality too isn't it really so anything you'd like to share around that um yeah so I think in one of my first weeks I managed to lose uh, something that was important on a file so that that was very very stressful (laughs) but then I've I've learned that if you phone someone for help so I phone the IT people and I said it's urgent (laughs) and they found it within 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 20 minutes so I'd never, I'd never stress about that sort of thing again. But again, it's about learning through your mistakes because I thought they'd probably be able to find it. But because I hadn't had the experience before, um, that's when the anxiety sets in, isn't it? Because you don't know if that's definitely going to happen. But if if a similar thing happened to me, I wouldn't stress about it at all because I know that they've, they've got their systems in place where they're backing everything up all the time. So it's actually okay. Um, challenges along the way, I, I guess, you know, we're in um, tricky times at the moment in terms of safeguarding, safe, you know, families are living in deprivation. And as a head teacher of an inner city school, there are lots of challenges, especially around parents' mental health. So, um, it's about just if if you need support, if you if you're wondering how you can can help a family, it's about just just making those links with your support networks, isn't it? And then for me, it's about as uh, in terms of safeguarding. Although I'm the lead DSL, my my two other DSLs do the day to day running of it, and so they actually come to me for advice about what I would do as an experienced DSL. So it's it's about. I think you have challenges and and it is they are there are challenging times at the moment but it's about just talking to each other if if you if you encounter difficulties at the end of the day um I suppose other difficulties um are that it, it, it's around the responsibility aspect of the role you know um sometimes you have reports that have got to be in in a week's time um so it's about making your team understand that suddenly sometimes Although you delegate a lot as a head teacher, you still have head teacher work to do that only you can do as a head teacher because it's your name and you're accountable for that report. So it's about asking them for support, getting them to fill out certain aspects of the report, but then you getting on with what you need to do. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's a, very much that prioritising, isn't it? And actually, yeah. you've yeah. mentioned a couple of times about delegating. And I think, again, that's quite a strong message going again going into headship you can't delegate everything of course and neither should you but equally 
if you try to do everything, that then becomes potentially unmanageable. And so it's it, that can sometimes be a common mistake as people are starting out that they feel they need to do everything and that they can't ask. And actually, it needs to, you need to kind of really think about those priorities. And and you know, realistically, people who are going into headship have had you know you don't you you had that progression to that point. So there will have been lots of skills built along the way to kind of guide you through, I suppose. But the learning journey and the learning curve continues, I suppose, is what we're saying. Um, and, and that, again, is OK. Uh, but talking about it and the more I always remember having my first kind of very, very difficult conversations with parents as a head teacher or maybe having quite a difficult conversation around um, kind of safeguarding, for example. But actually, the more that you do tackle those things in a sensitive fair honest way that's been thought through actually again that it becomes more familiar and unfortunately if you do have to have those conversations several times over with different kind of families and such like actually you, you, do. you learn those skills you do. don't you so you can, you it's do. always and a learning curve that builds yeah. you as a professional yeah and due to the nature of of, of being ahead in in an inner city context and a previous senior leader of a head teacher in a in a in a city context, you do naturally have to have those tricky conversations with parents because you know parents are suffering with, with various issues at the moment. And what you'll find by having being skilled in having those tricky conversations, you often get to the root of the problem, and and then um, parents are in the position where. They will accept support from you. Um, even though we're not a children's centre anymore, we we try and act like one because the community needs us at the end of the day. And, you know, um, geographically wise, Doddington Children's Centre is a long, long way away from Lily and Delissa, but we've still got those relationships with the, with the family support workers there. Um, so it's about having that regular contact with them because they know what, and, and they, they're the experts at guiding um, mm. families. How, how to access support, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've had a very busy first term um, and, and actually a lot of the real successful ones. So actually, if you were looking back now, if you were talking to yourself kind of over a year ago now, that, that person, who, the Sally who was deliberating over, shall I take that step or not? What would you say to that Sally now? <laughs> oh, I know. Um, I think... If you if you if you're deliberating it, then you you've just got to talk to other head teachers about it to get a broad spectrum of, of opinions of how it feels. Because um, we're all different and we've all got different personalities, haven't we? So that's what I would I would say for, for somebody to, to that Sally. Um, I'd also say start the MPQH course as as soon as you can, because you learn key aspects of the role. And it highlights actually that it's such a varied and multifaceted role, mm. um, and puts you and then, with, puts you with a cohort as well, doesn't it? I suppose doing that sort yeah, of yeah, it does. And uh, they they said to us at the, the first conference, some of you are going to become head teachers in this process. I, oh, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be. And look what happened. So um, yeah, so it's it, you learn along the way from from your colleagues, as we said. Um, I'd also say that know that it it does feel like a it it, it is a responsible um job and the responsibility changes dramatically but know that actually heads are good at supporting heads and heads understand heads and there'll always be people that you can include in your um support network who will be your backstage support and that's important isn't it um yeah 
And then also, also know that, you know, again, going back to the responsibility part of it, there is a responsible position to hold. Um, but with it, become come you get the immense rewards knowing that you're shaping a whole community and actually it's one of those things and we said this earlier Sarah not today but when we were talking earlier I can't you can't you can't put it into words how it feels to be a head teacher it's one of those experiences it's like getting married or having children it's one of those experiences that you just can't put it into words it feels very special I can feel you smiling. I can feel you smiling. <laughs> it's always good. Turn and you're smiling. So go on then, if you can, let, let hit me with it. If you could sum up your first term, one term of being a head teacher in one sentence, what would your summary sentence be? Okay. Okay. So it felt like a challenge and overwhelming at times, but my backstage people were there to support me, both in school and out of school. So thank you to those people. You know who you are. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Super. That's more than a sentence, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, we'll let you off. Oh, it's been a delight to just um hear your thoughts about actually pre-headship, starting headship, where you are a term in. And I think you can really hear your your the fact that you are really enjoying it. You're enjoying the new aspects of it and actually rising up to those challenges as it were and and kind of taking taking those huge strides into headship and and really developing the team and the environment and things for the children so uh, sounds like it was a good move for you yeah it was oh brilliant and that's that's really really good to hear and I hope that our listeners have have kind of maybe if they are themselves deliberating um it's perhaps nice and maybe refreshing to hear some some of the kind of how that journey has been in reality for somebody who's really been on that journey and thought about it so thank you so much for your time to Sally today it's been great to have you back it's been lovely to be back, Sarah. Oh, bless you. Well, good luck. And maybe we need to do a touch base a year in of headship and, you know, all of that you sort could. of stuff. So watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, in the meantime, best wishes to the Lillian Delissa team and uh, I hope to catch up with you again soon. You take care. And you, Sarah. See you soon. Bye. Well, thanks for joining us today. I hope you found it a valuable listen and that you've taken some things away to reflect on or maybe things that you want to discuss with your colleagues. Of course, remember, if you want to talk about any of the issues that we've explored today or you need support with other matters in your school, then do feel free to drop me an email, sarah at earlyexcellence.com or why not get connected with me on LinkedIn or Twitter? Anyway, take care and join me next time for some more genuine head-to-head conversation.